0: Well, thank you, praise team. Good morning, Gateway family. Morning. It is great to see you this morning as we get ready for Vacation Bible School this week. I do want to echo what Molly said and just ask you to be praying for it. It's such a strategic week in the life of our young people to help them understand the gospel, to have those seeds planted in some of their lives, to have seeds that have been planted so faithfully by you parents watered and just trusting God to, to bring a harvest. So would you please be praying for Vacation Bible School all throughout this next week, Monday to Friday 9 Well, as we continue through our journey through Paul's letter to the Ephesians and to us, we come to the end of chapter 1 today. And as we come to the end of chapter 1, I want to ask you the question, why does the church exist? Why does the church exist? What is the point of the church? Why do we have local fellowships, local bodies of believers known as churches? Is the point of the church to make us feel good? Or is it something much bigger than us and our feelings? Is the point of the church about our desires and having our needs met and our checklist checked off? Or is it about God's desires and God's plans? Is the point of the local church about our programs and all the cool things we can offer? Or is it about God's mission, God's kingdom work? As we come to the end of Ephesians, we've been seeing Paul's prayer for the people in Ephesus and for us. We've seen Paul praying for people to have a growing knowledge of who God is. We've seen him praying that they would experience God's power. And last week in particular, we saw that God's plan for us is to experience His power at work in us and His power at work through us. So I hope you notice the songs that we sung this morning were all about what we had studied last week about God's power. And we were singing the truth that we had been looking at last week about the power of God at work in us and at work through us. But we're going back to verses 22 and 23 this morning because it takes us beyond just what we saw last week of God's plan is for us to experience his power at work in us. And it moves us to a more collective understanding of God's power at work in us together in community as the church. And so there's one main truth I want you to see this morning is simply this. Jesus leads and empowers his church to accomplish his mission. Jesus leads and empowers his church. To accomplish his mission. Now notice the terminology that we're talking about his church, not ours. Friends, Gateway does not belong to me. It does not belong to the elders. It does not belong to you. It belongs to the Lord. This is his church. We're talking about his mission, not ours, not my dreams as Pastor Gateway, not the elders dreams for Gateway, or the deacons dreams for Gateway, or your dreams for Gateway. This is about God's plans for his church, his kingdom purposes, in local bodies of believers known as churches. And ultimately about His leading us, Him directing us as we submit to Him. It's really all about what we've been seeing the last two weeks. It's about growing in our knowledge of Him as He leads us. It's about experiencing His power at work in us, but not just me and Jesus. This is about collectively us as the body of believers being led by the Lord as we know Him, being empowered by the Lord as we experience His power. Jesus leads and empowers His church to accomplish His mission. So to read our verses this morning, I want you to look for how is the church described? How is the church described and how does Jesus relate to the church? Our focus is going to be the last two verses, verses 22 and 23, but I want us to read the context of it all because actually verses 15 to 23 is just one sentence in Greek. So yeah, we spent the last three weeks on one sentence again. And, but I want us to see the context of it all. So we're honing in on those last two verses. I want us to see the whole prayer he's praying right here again, looking in those last two verses for what is the church? And how does Jesus relate to the church? So can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? We're going to go back to start in verse 15. This one long sentence that Paul writes to the people at Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for the riches of your word to us. And God, I pray today as we look at just these two verses, that God, they would come alive to us, that your Holy Spirit would illumine these verses and give us insight into your plans, your will for your church. And God, I pray you would transform us and change us for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So again, I want you to see in these verses, Jesus leads and empowers his church to accomplish his mission. So there we're talking about the church and we're talking about us as the church. We're not the main focus. This is all about Christ and how great and mighty he is. Notice the context and notice how God is being described here in the verses right before our passage today. Go back to verse 18 here and look at the glory of God on display for us. Paul's praying in verse 18 that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. And what's one of the things he prays for now? Verse 19, that we would be enlightened to what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Friends, we looked at that last week in depth, just seeing the greatness, the majesty, the power of God on display. But Paul continues with the greatness of God here in verse 22. And look at what he says about it. And he, that's God the Father, put all things under his, that's Christ's feet, and gave him Christ as head over all things to the church. We're seeing the greatness of God on display and the absolute sovereignty of Jesus here. Notice in verse 22, and God the Father put some things under Christ's feet, all things. How many things are under Christ's feet? All. And friends, here's our Greek lesson, all means all. I mean, there's nothing that's not under the dominion of Christ there. Literally everything you can possibly dream of, imagine, fathom, and more is under the absolute sovereign lordship of Christ. There is nothing in all creation, spiritual or physical, that is outside of his sovereign control. There's a quote from a guy named Abraham Kuyper I want to put on the screen for you. Abraham Kuyper was a prime minister of the Netherlands who was also a theologian. Listen to what Kuiper says. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign overall, does not cry, Mine. Like literally, there is nothing you can conceive or fathom of that is not under the sovereignty of Christ. Everything Christ proclaims is mine spiritual, physical, anything you can imagine is under the absolute sovereign authority of Christ. Again, verse 22 here. He, the Father, put all things under His Christ's feet and gave Him Christ as head over all things. But friends, this is not some impersonal sovereign plan of some cosmic power. This is absolute sovereignty. He cries out, "Mine over everything," but it's very personal to you and me as believers. Again, look at the last phrase of verse twenty-two. This is astounding. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him His head over all things to who? To the church. It's given to the church. Now, we know from the rest of Scripture that we are the Father's gift to Christ. But here, Christ is described as being given to us. His absolute sovereign reign, where he proclaims over everything mine, is now given as a grace gift to us. His headship, his leadership over the church is a blessing that is given to us. Now, that begs the question before we go on, what is the church? If this is given, this, if what Christ is doing here being given to us, the church, what, what are we as the church. Well, Paul answers for us here in verses 22 and 23. He put all things under his feet, gave him his head over all things to the church. Now, what is the church? Verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the church is the body, but not just anybody. Whose body? His body, Christ's body. Let that sink in. The church is his body. It's described that. The body is the favorite image that Paul uses to describe the church. So much can be said about what that means, but there's two important truths that I want you to get out of the fact that we are the body of Christ. Number one, that means we have a vital relationship with Christ as the head. If we are the body, we are connected to him as the head. I'd encourage you later today to go read John 15. We looked at it a long time ago, but the whole imagery of he is the vine, we are the branches that come out of that. Our life comes from him, from abiding in and him, friends, we being the body means that he is the head, he is our life, he is our strength, he is our wisdom. We have no life apart from him Any more that if your head got cut off, as graphic as that is, your body's not going to be able to keep running around doing what it does. If we chop your head off, there is nothing left of life in you. There's no wisdom left, no strength left. You can't just keep going. So much more so as the church. If we are separated from our head, we have no life. He alone is the one who gives us life and strength and wisdom and everything we need. So we have union with Christ. That's what it means to be the body. But more than even beyond that, it means that we have community together. We have community together. The whole imagery, I'd encourage you to read later as well. I thought about reading it this morning, but 1 Corinthians 12. We'd be here all day if I read that whole thing and try to do that. We'll do that as another sermon another day, okay? But 1 Corinthians 12 about the imagery of the body we all are part of the body. Your eye can't say to your hand, I don't need you. And your hand can't say to your eye, I don't need you. Think about the way God has put the different gifts and our different personalities together in a body of believers for a reason. We need one another. No one of us has all the spiritual gifts needed to be the church. We have to have one another. Just as my hand needs my arm, my arm needs my shoulder, my shoulder needs the rest of me, we all need one another. Now, friends, how often do we live like we're a hand by ourselves? or an elbow by ourselves, or an eyeball by ourselves? Do our lives reflect that we really believe we're to be intertwined in community under the headship of Christ with one another? But that's His plan for us. That's what it means to be the body. He put all things under His feet and gave His head over all things to the church, which is His body. So if we're under the headship of Christ, if He is our Lord, if, we are, if He is leading us, how does Christ lead us, friends. What does it mean that Christ lead up, leads us? I think mean, if you ask the average person on the street, what does it mean? How does Christ relate to the church and how does he lead us? You probably to me, well he loves us. Well yeah that's true. He does love us. Well that's a lot of what we're seeing in Ephesians. We'll see that a lot more in the weeks to come in chapter two. But friends get this he loves us so much he exercises headship over us. He loves us so much he exercises his sovereignty over us. And it's a good thing. Our culture kind of reviles back at the thought of him having headship over us, but it's a good thing. Let, let me think, think about it this way. If my head tells my arm to move up and down, and my arm doesn't move, what do I need to do? I need to go to the doctor. There's a problem. If my arm muscles don't follow the headship, there's a problem. Likewise, if I'm not playing my arm moving, my arm just flips up and hits something, There's a problem there as well. If the arm moves without the head, we go to the doctor when the body doesn't respond to the head the way the head is supposed to. That's the image we need to be getting here. Christ as head means he is leading us collectively, not only individually, but collectively as the body of Christ. His headship over us is not a burden. It is a grace gift. It is a joy. It is a good thing, friends, because the one who, according to verse 21, is far above all rule and authority and power, the one who's above every name, loves us so much he doesn't leave us on our own. He leads us. He guides us. He directs us. And what's he leading us to do, friends? He is leading us to accomplish, not our mission, but he loves us so much he's leading us to accomplish his mission and his plans. He's leading us together as his body to fulfill his mission and his plans. Friends, church is not about me doing whatever I want. Church is about us together, collectively, as His body, submitting to His headship as He loves us and guides us to accomplish what He wants to see happened. So much could be said about what that looks like. But think back to what we saw in the Gospel of John. John chapter 15, verse 8. What does it say in John 15, 8? By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. What is Jesus leading us to do as He's head and we're the body? He's leading us to ultimately to glorify God. How can we do that? Well, we could spend weeks and weeks on a sermon series on how to glorify God. Maybe one day we'll do that theme. But Let me give you three ideas of how he's leading us as the church to glorify him. Number one, he leads us to worship him. We are redeemed to praise him. That's what we're going to be doing for all eternity, is praising the greatness of our God. So he leads us collectively to worship him. That's part of his mission for us, is to praise Him, as we've just been doing this morning. But beyond just praising Him with our words, He is calling us. He's leading us to praise Him with holy lives. He's leading us to obedience and holy living, not in our strength, but in His. But friends, He's also leading us not just to worship, not just to holy living. He's leading us to live on mission for Him, to be His hands and feet, to carry on His work. Friends, He has rescued us he has redeemed us, he has saved us, he has adopted us, not so we can keep living for ourselves, doing what we want. We've been rescued from that way of living, to living for him, to living according to his plans and his purpose for us, to being on mission for him. And there's a little glimpse of that here in verse 23 again. Back in Ephesians 1, 23, it describes us as a church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What does it mean to be the fullness of Him. And I think this is the answer. Now, I've got to tell you, scholars really debate what that phrase means. It's a strange phrase, and different people interpret it different ways. But here's what I'm persuaded this this is saying here. If we're the church, we're His body, and we're the fullness of Him, what I believe that means is that means He's filling us with His presence, so we can now take His message to the world. The fullness of Him. He is giving us Himself. He's filling us as the church with His presence, so we can now fill the world with his message. We are being filled by him to be sent out. The one in verse 20 who is the ascended one, who's been raised from the dead and seated at the right hand in the heavenly places, now has ordained in his sovereign plans to send us out. As the Father sent him, he says so send I you. He is sending us out now, being filled with his presence to now fill the world with his message. God is sovereign. We've sung about that this morning. God could do whatever he wants to do to get his message to the world. He could write it in the clouds. We can have letters fall from the sky. God can do whatever God wants to do. There's nothing that's impossible for God. But how has God chosen to accomplish his mission? To see his kingdom advance? He's chosen to use who? Us. The church. So when you look at texts like Matthew 28, as you're going, make disciples of all the nations. You look at texts like Acts 1-8, that we're to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. We're to look at texts like 2 Corinthians 5, that he's reconciled us to himself and made us ministers of reconciliation. Because his plan, his mission for us as a church is not for us just to have fun and do what we want to do. It's for us to worship him, to have holy lives and to be sent out. For him as his ambassadors to make him known so that others might join us in worshiping him. Friends, what a responsibility we have to be his hands and his feet in this world that he has. What a privilege we have to be part of a body that we're not doing this alone, but together with all of our diverse gifts, we serve together. Not in the same way, but we serve together with our diverse gifts to accomplish his purposes. What a joy we have to be led by him and used by him. Friends, Jesus leads his church to accomplish his mission, because I want us to catch something here. Though it he doesn't say you're my church, you're my body. Go get them for me. Have at it. He doesn't send us out in our own strength. He empowers us because friends, our power will fall so short. We are impossible in our own strength to be able to do this. So he sends us out. Go back to verse twenty-three. We are his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. As the body collects, we have his fullness. He. He fills us with His presence. He fills us with His wisdom. He fills us with His strength so that we might go out on His mission. He gives us the wisdom we need for the mission, the strength we need, the power we need, and the grace we need. And friends, we need it. It's tough in this world to live for Christ. It is tough in this world to walk in holiness. It's tough in this world to speak of Christ and to make Him known. We will face resistance. We will face persecution, according to the Scriptures. And we will face spiritual attacks that we'll see when we get to Ephesians 6. And yet Jesus promises, think back to when he's talking to Peter in Matthew 16, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Though we have a difficult assignment, Jesus can say with absolute confidence, the gates of hell will not prevail. Why? Because he's the one who is far above all. Verse 21, the one who's above all, rule, authority, power, and dominion, the one above every name. Now verse 22 has everything under his feet. He is head over all things. And then now he takes us as sovereign Lord over all, saying, my kingdom will advance. And guess what? I'm going to use you as you follow my leadership, as you submit to my headship, as you worship me, as you walk in holiness. I'm going to send you out into the world with my fullness with you to make myself known. Friends, Jesus leads and empowers his church to accomplish his mission. Now, what difference does that make in our lives? If we really embrace that truth that Jesus is leading and empowering us collectively as a church to be about his mission, what difference does that make? Well, we can spend weeks on a sermon series just on the difference that makes as well on that one. And a lot of Ephesians will be talking about that. But I want to give you four points of application, I believe, that come out of us embracing this idea of Christ as head leading us and empowering us for his mission. Four things to consider, and you probably have already thought about these as we've been talking about. Number one there's no Lone Ranger Christians. There is no Lone Ranger Christians, friends. Our culture is a culture of individualism, of do-it-yourself. Don't be vulnerable. Don't be transparent. But friends, there's no place for that if we are the body. The church is essential. When I say the church, I don't mean just we show up on Sunday mornings. It means community, actually living like we're interconnected body parts. My finger doesn't see my wrist just once a week. My elbow doesn't see the rest of me just on Sunday mornings every two or three weeks. Like, my body is connected all the time. And God's plan for the church is for us to be in community, in close relationship, outside of just an hour a week, as we together are the body of Christ. There should be no Lone Ranger Christians. So, friends, I want to ask you, are you experiencing being connected? Are you experiencing being part of what God is doing with other people with different backgrounds and different gifts who are united together in the gospel? Are you experiencing that type of body life of being connected? Are you finding joy serving alongside other people with different gifts than you as you work together for the kingdom? Number one, there should be no Lone Ranger Christians. Number two, friends, that means the church is about God's purposes, not our own. The church is about God's purposes, not our own. Friends, we are in a culture that makes us feel like it's all about us. That's what marketing's all about. It's trying to stir up our desires and get, us, get things the way we want it, friends. But that's not what the church is supposed to be. Some months ago, uh, Julie and I were at a wedding. It wasn't a gateway person, so don't worry about who this might be, okay? It, it was being officiated by a pastor of another church, a very trendy, popular church. And afterwards at the reception, I had a chance to talk to the pastor, and it was kind of fun. I got to pick his brain a little bit about their strategy and methodology, and I asked him, and we got time about what their goal was on Sunday mornings. And I'll never forget it, friends. He looked at me, and he said, we only have one goal on Sunday mornings. Out of all the things we as a church to there's only one ambition on Sunday mornings. And that is for everyone to have so much fun, they're going to come back. And he was dead serious. His only ambition as a church on Sunday mornings was for people to have so much fun, they want to come back. We live in a culture, friends, that feels like we can create church and community and my walk with God, whatever makes me feel good. But, friends, we are required to align our purposes to God's, not our own. But before we throw stones, friends, all of our hearts have the same tendency that brother expressed. If we're not careful, self-included, all of our hearts will start going down, church being what I like and what I don't like, what I want, what I don't want, what I want change, what I want different. And all this. It's so easy in our selfish hearts to want to start focusing on me and my preferences versus focusing on being on community together, united in the gospel, on missions for the Lord. So, the question for us out of that, if church is about God's purpose, is not our own, what are our conversations about church about? When we talk to one another, and we talk to people in the community about church, are our conversations about God's kingdom and God's fame and God's name being spread? Or is it about, I like this, I don't like this. you me. they did that at our church this week? You know, is it about what we like and don't like? Or is it about God's purposes? And we need lots of grace to keep our focus on God's purpose because there's a very clever enemy who wants to focus us inward. So number one, there should be no lone, no lone ranger Christians. Number two, church is about God's purposes, not our own. Number three, we must rely on his strength not our strength. Again, we're in a culture that celebrates independence. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You don't need anyone else. My friends, we desperately need the Lord's wisdom. We desperately need the Lord's power, and He gives it in His grace to the church to do what He's called us to do. You know, the best test of it, how do I know if I'm relying on God's power and not my own? How are we praying? Friends, when we're praying, we're acknowledging that I need what only the Lord can give. We're asking for help. Friends, if we're not praying about things... It's usually because we kind of think we've got this figured out and we don't really need anyone. We normally aren't bold enough to say it that way. That's kind of what our lives reflect. So friends, are we, not just individually, but collectively, are we crying out, Lord, would you give us wisdom? Lord, would you give us strength? Lord, would you guide our steps? We need you, Lord, as a church. We need you as a life group. We need you as a Saints class. We need you as a community of friends. We need you, Lord. Give us strength. Give us wisdom. Are we praying that way? So, friends, there's no Lone Ranger Christians. Church is about God's purposes, not our own. We need to rely on His strength, not our own. But lastly, we can have hope in a very difficult world. We can have a lot of hope. Again, the promise of Matthew 16, the gates of hell will not prevail. God, who is overall the sovereign when He's ordained to use His church, and He will certainly use His church as we submit to His headship. And we can have a lot of hope. So, friends, do you have hope in God's purpose today? Do you have hope? that this church can make a difference for the kingdom in Montgomery and around the world? Do you have hope that you and your friends can make an impact in your neighborhood as your life group meets right there for the kingdom purposes? Do you believe that you and your friends can reach that lost family member, that lost friend that you've been praying for? Do you have confidence that that God's kingdom will advance, not because of you, but because he has chosen to use his church to accomplish his purposes? Jesus leads and empowers his church to accomplish his mission. With that, friends, we come to the end of chapter 1 of Ephesians. Before we come to communion, I want to give us a bird's eye view of it. We've spent eight weeks looking at really two sentences. If you remember, verses 3 through 14 were a sentence, and 15 to 23 were a sentence. So the danger is, as we go deep into these things, and we miss the big picture of what's going on here. And just these two sentences from the last seven weeks, I want us to think about the big picture of what we've seen and use this as a heart reflection before we celebrate communion together. This morning. So what have we seen in Ephesians 1 over the last seven or eight weeks? First of all, everything we've seen is framed by way back in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, everything we're talking about is ultimately to give God praise. It's about Him, not about us. Yes, we're talking about blessings we have, but it's about Him. Him being praised. But what are, what are we praising Him for? What are the blessings He's done? Back to verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. not just a few but every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. every possible spiritual blessing you can imagine is ours in Christ. What are some of those blessings that we have seen just in these last few weeks just birds eye view. Some of the blessings include we have been chosen by God. time again, We've been predestined. We have been forgiven. We have been made blameless. We are now adopted into his family. We belong. We are recipients of his rich grace. He has shown us his plan for what he's doing in the world. He's shown us that he wants to use us. He has given us an inheritance. And friends, that is just the start of the every spiritual blessings. But there's even more. In Christ, these every spiritual blessings include the fact that he is changing us. We've seen over these last seven weeks or so that he is giving us belief. He's giving us faith. He's giving us hope. He's giving us security as he seals us with the Holy Spirit. He's growing our love for one another. He's growing our knowledge of him. He's growing our experience of his power. He's giving us his direction and he's sending us out on mission because he's leading us and empowering us as his people and as his church. Friends, that's just a glimpse of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places that is ours in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. But friends, even as we think about all those blessings, it's free to us. It's the grace gift of God that he freely gives to us that we receive through faith. But I want to remind us, this is where it's fitting at the end of chapter one as we think about all these blessings we have being in Christ and being adopted and being chosen and being made holy and, and him us in all these ways, friends. Though it's free to us, it came at an incredibly high cost. And I don't want us to lose sight of that. This incredibleness of what we've seen came with an incredibly high cost. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Seems like a long time ago when we looked at that. In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. Friends, for you and I to be able to be part of the body of Christ, for us to be able to be adopted, for us to belong to His family, for us to be transformed by Him, to experience all these things, it came with a cost. It came with the cost of, the, of Jesus on the cross of His blood being poured out, His body being broken for the forgiveness of our sins. And so it's very fitting as we think about all these blessings and we want to worship God for them to remember the cost of all that. And that's ultimately, friends, what communion is about. Remember the great sacrifice that was made for the forgiveness of our sins. And so this morning as we celebrate communion together, I hope you'll reflect on all the blessings you have in Christ. But you'll also reflect on the incredibly high price that was paid by Jesus so that you could have this Forgiveness, so you can have these blessings. So, friends, if you are a child of God, if you belong to His family, you are welcome to come partake in communion. This is not just for members of Gateway, but if this is for the body of Christ, if you know Christ in a personal way, if He's forgiven you of your sins, if you're adopted into His family, and and He is transforming you, you see Him working in your life, as we've seen in Ephesians 1, you are welcome to come celebrate this with us this morning as we reflect on the body and blood of Christ. I need to remind us there's a very sobering warning about observing. Communion or the Lord's Supper. When Paul writes to the people in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 11, he tells people, Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Friends, this is only for those who are children of God. If you've not trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you do not see Him as your head, as your Lord, as your boss, if He's not transforming you and changing you and disciplining you when you sin, if there's no evidence that you're a child of God, This is not to come right now. There's no shame in staying in your seat. I'd encourage you to do that before you come and take something that you're warned by Scripture not to take. But sit where you are and just say, God, I'm not sure if I'm even a believer. If you're real, would you show yourself to me? Just why don't you pray a simple prayer while you sit there and ask the Lord to show himself to you. But friends, if you're a child of God as well, this is something we take with seriousness. We need to remember his body. So we come to this remembering his sacrifice made for us. We're going to add to that day. Let's also think about the body of Christ. They were in this together. He didn't save us to be Lone Ranger Christians. He saved us to collectively worship Him, to collectively serve Him. and So we celebrate this collectively today as a local expression of His body right here in Montgomery. For you to gateway, what we'll do in just a moment is our our deacons will come help escort you to the front. You'll come down by rows and you'll come and you'll receive the bread and receive the cups. Remember the body in the blood of Christ that was poured out so you could belong to his family, so you could be forgiven, so you could be sent out now by him to make a difference for his kingdom. I encourage you once you receive the elements, as you return to your seat, there's no rush. Take time, reflect on them, reflect on his sacrifice for you, reflect on his love for you. Think about these things, dwell on these things, worship him, pray to him, do business with him, and then as you're ready, you're free to take whenever you'd like to. I'm gonna pray for us in our praise He's gonna come and then our deacons will lead you as well. Father God, we are so thankful for your grace, your grace that took wretched sinners like us and made us your own. God, I think you took people who were deserving of your wrath, and God, you made us your children. You made us your friends. God, you've forgiven us. You have adopted us into your family. You've given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And God, I pray today that each one of us who know you, as we celebrate communion, God, that you would fill our hearts with all and with wonder at the incredible love you have for us your incredible sacrifice lord jesus that you willingly lay down your life that we could be restored we can be reconciled to god and i pray out of that as we look at the bread and remember your body was broken for so we see the juice and remember that your blood was spilled god i pray you would fill our hearts with worship and thankfulness to you the one who is worthy of it all and god i pray you'd be pleased and lord i pray as well as we celebrate this you would remind us of what you've called us to be and to do and we find renewed grace and renewed strength to live out our Christian lives, not just to show up on Sunday mornings, but God, to, to serve you, to follow you or wherever you lead us. Well, if there's anyone in this room, child or adult alike, who does not know you, I pray even the symbol of seeing the bread and being reminded of your body, Lord Jesus, and your blood being poured out, God, you might use this to open their eyes. Would you during this time, if anyone in this room does not know you, would you use this time to be drawing them and wooing them to yourself? That we will give you the praise for all that you're gonna do. Thank you that we get to worship you in this way. We ask it all in Jesus' name.